0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Virtual Breakfast. Uh, My name is Eric Anderson. I'm a field crops educator down in the Southwest corner. I'll be the host for today. And we'll go ahead and get started. We've got uh, some preliminary um, logistics that we want to get through so we can give our speakers uh, the full amount of time. So we'll go ahead and get started right now. Um, For those of you who have been on, uh, you know that the collection of demographic data from program participants. Uh, It's an important a mandated aspect of all Michigan State University Extension programming. It's voluntary and the information that you provide uh, will not be used in any way to identify you personally, but rather as an anonymous member that participated in this program. Uh, So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a minute right now, if you could please go ahead and fill out the poll that just appeared on your screen. Uh, We'll give you about a minute to do that, and then we will continue.
1: All right, Eric, I think we're all set.
0: Great, thank you everyone for filling that out. So we actually have um, another um, piece of feedback that we would like to get from you at the end of the season and Phil, do you wanna talk about that?
1: Thank you, Eric. One of the things that we really rely on is the feedback and information from participants on programs that we've had. And your evaluation data does not go unheated. We use this data for a lot of different things, but the biggest thing is we use it to improve what we do and how we do things. Uh, We also use this with our uh, partners to provide them with information about the program. So this year, if you notice, we haven't had any evaluation so far. And so I've spared you the, uh, the joy of doing that. But at the end of the season, I am going to be sending out to all participants that were during the year, that were live during the year, an evaluation link. And I'm asking you to fill that out to really help us out. Uh, it's one of those things that we do rely on that information. And for uh, your benefit, if you are willing to do that, we, I hope you are, we, have, uh, we will have some gift certificates, gift cards that we will be presenting to those that uh, participate. and then another $25 gift cards for those that um, send it in. Not everybody gets those, but for the first or the top three, I should say, and it'll be just a random drawing to to select who gets those gift cards. But be looking for this in your emails at the end of the season. It'll come from me and uh, just similar to what you receive on Wednesday and Thursday morning. So Eric, I'll leave it at that and let's go forward.
0: Great. Thanks, Phil. So one last bit of logistics uh, for those of you who, again, this may be your first time, uh, just please make sure to mute yourself uh, during the presentations. Uh, We'll be using the chat feature at the bottom of the screen. If you want to ask questions, definitely do that. And you can put those questions in anytime and we'll come back and circle around and answer those. Uh, If you are going to request RUP credits, uh, we need to cross-check that list against um, the participant list in Zoom. So if you could uh, rename yourself with your first and last name by clicking on the participant list icon at the bottom, you find your name, hover, and click on it, and then you can rename your name. All right, the first presenter today is going to be our... Uh, soybean Specialist, Mike Staten is going to be talking about reducing soybean harvest losses. So, Mike, thanks for joining, and I'll let you take it
2: away. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, as Eric said, I, I am a soybean educator. I get to focus 100% of my time on soybean production issues, and the reason I can do that is because my position is jointly funded by MSU Extension and the Michigan Soybean Committee. So this is something that we've really focused on for probably the last 11 years or so, is how do we reduce soybean harvest losses? And this is one of the biggest things you see more and more of these across the the in the spring running across our fields, and this one happens to be operated just under perfect conditions. You can see the forest green there, where we've got some stones that have been punched. And this is a roller. For those of you that are on the phone, uh, field rollers uh, are just becoming more and more common. They're an excellent harvest aid. Um, they punch the stones into the ground and allow us to just do a better job of harvesting. Less fatigue, less equipment uh, wear and tear. And the reason I think they help with losses is they allow us to travel a little bit faster and we don't get as much broken equipment so really a good uh, a good harvest aid this is the reason we want to talk about this even under good conditions you know ideal conditions we average one to two bushels per acre well you know it doesn't sound like a lot but when you look at today's market prices it is a pretty big deal you know anywhere from 14 to 28 bucks an acre um and if you get and that's under good conditions you get into poor conditions like shattering lodging short plants or maybe green stems those losses can jump much higher than that this is just a slide that was taken by a farmer down in, in Berrien County, Alex Rakowski. And Alex sent this to me. And this is from just last year's harvest, the 2021 harvest. And those of you that saw this, I've only seen this happen twice in my career, uh, back in 2007 and then this year where we saw volunteer soybeans and uh, after harvest. And what I've got there in that orange square is basically my best guess at a one-foot square. There's a rule of thumb that if you've lost four beans per square foot, you've lost a bushel per acre. And uh, if you look at this square, there's no trouble finding at least 20 plants in there. And I don't know if they've all germinated yet or not, but there's at least 20 in there. So there's five bushels per acre lost. Um, There's some debate about why this happened last year. I'm very much convinced it was shatter losses at 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 the header, excuse me. This is another reason that can aggravate soybean harvest losses. This is from our MSU variety trial in Allegan a couple of years ago. The variety on the right is standing just straight as an arrow. The variety on the left is a tangled mat. The only thing that's different here is the variety. The fertility is exactly the same. The seeding rates were exactly the same. Um, planting dates were the same. The only thing that's different is the variety. So you can just see what, what kind of a harvest challenge this, this area would present versus this area. This is another situation that we've seen. This is uh, where the cutter bar is riding over short plants and not cutting uh, these low-hanging pods. And again, if you assume four bushels per square foot, there's about five bushels per acre lost right there. So they do add up in a hurry. This is another one. And this may rear its head this year, actually, in the thumb of Michigan. We don't know for sure. It's always hard to predict. But it's typically an environmental problem. What happens is when we have dry conditions during pod set and pod fill, then we get adequate growing conditions, rain and sunshine after that the photosynthates have no place to go. There just isn't enough pods to absorb all that uh, that starch and, and sugars. So what happens is it stays in the stem and you just wait, you get way too much photosynthate in the stem and they just stay green. So that is something we may see if you experience those kind of conditions. So some basic steps for reducing harvest losses. First of all is definitely pay attention to your operator's manual. And I would even go a step further. I would visit with your equipment sales reps. There are some excellent, excellent sales reps across the state that know their equipment inside and out. And I would I would pick their brains. Uh, equipment selection is really important. Equipment maintenance is also really, really important, something we can be doing right now. Uh, Harvest timing is one I think that we have some more control over than what you think you do. And then operator skill and equipment adjustment. And then finally, measure your losses. Find out what's happening. So let's start with the maintenance. Uh, biggest thing is the cutter bar. Just make sure that you've, you know, really gone through the guards, the knife sections. Make sure everything, all the knives are sharp and tight. All the guard edges are not rounded and, and, and pretty, uh, pretty sharp. Um, if they're bent, either replace them or align them. Um, and just adjust uh the hold down clips and and the wear plates. Do that now so when you hit the field uh things will go well. You won't notice this type of a problem under ideal conditions as much, but if you get into uh, shattering conditions or green stems or maybe low planting rates where the stems are thick, you will really notice uh poor performance from your cutter bar. So it really does pay atten- pay attention pay to to pay attention to that. Equipment selection. There's some big decisions there, and they're probably already made by now. But uh, draper heads have really taken over, or at least gained a lot of progress in the market. They really have. They're replacing auger heads on a lot of farms. And primarily, the reason for this is because they maximize combine threshing capacity. They just bring that crop into that threshing cylinder or rotor so uniformly that we're able to maximize that capacity. The other thing they do, though, is they increase the harvest capacity per day. And this allow they allow higher ground speeds under some conditions. And a bigger benefit is they lengthen the to me, anyways, is they lengthen the harvest window each day. Uh, in a log auger head, sometimes you'll see as that straw gets tough, it bunches up on the edges or the ends of the of the header and just doesn't feed. The auger doesn't feed it in. So you got to stop. You don't have any choice once the dew starts to set in. Well, you might be able to chug through that a little bit longer with a um, with a, a draper head, and start earlier in the morning. Air-assisted reels have been really uh, a real boon in many cases. Uh, they particularly help when you have short plants, and, uh, and 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 maybe even in shattering conditions, they might be helpful as well. This is a picture of one of our soybean harvest field days, and this is, uh, of course, a combine equipped with a draper head and. An air assisted reel. This happens to be the AWS reel. It's, uh, they call it an air bar. Uh, these are basically the more common, these air bars with this manifold that uh, shoots the air down through here. Um, so there's only two times when these might be a challenge that I can see is in lodged conditions. You may not want those out there. They may knock the beans over, the plants over. So you may wanna tip that out of the way or take it off completely in badly lodged conditions. This is the one I think that's overlooked. I think we have more control than we think we do. I really am a proponent of beginning our harvest earlier than you think. We often wait until every leaf is dropped and uh, and uh, until we get in, into a field and the beans are 13%. The trouble with that is, yes, that field is going to be taken off ideally at 13%. But what about the rest of your acres? They're going to be, the potential for them being overly dry are pretty pretty good. So I would start at 15 to 16% even if you're not drying on the farm. So um, harvesting below 12% will increase splits. We do get a lot of splits uh, allowance at the elevators. Most elevators will give you up to 20%. So it's not a real big issue for our commercial beans, but uh, um, it's still something good to avoid if we can help it. So if, if conditions are really, really dry, consider harvesting in the morning or maybe a little bit later in the evening. Um, to try to get the beans uh, at at 13% or higher to reduce our shatter losses. This is a table that I put together using current prices. I know there's a lot of information, but let's just focus on what this table shows is how harvest moisture affects net income on a per bushel basis. So at 13% moisture, which is what we all want to shoot for, that's right in the middle of the table, and it's bolded. So 13% moisture, a bushel weighs 60 pounds. Uh, after we shrink it, because there is no shrink, it still weighs 60 pounds, and we get paid our full 14.40. I'm using the USDA season-long marketing price for this analysis, so we get our full price. That's what everybody wants. But in reality, what happens is we harvest a lot of beans at 11, maybe even 10%, and now look at what happens to that net price per bushel. We went from 14.40 at 11% down to $14.40. 108 uh, is what we're actually getting paid because we've lost that water weight. And that's what's happening. And, and that water weight, the, more, the higher the price of soybeans is, the higher the value of that water weight. So please keep that in mind. So as we harvest these overly dry beans, we're losing income because um, we're, we're, we're losing that water weight. Now, what about shrink? Let's look at the other side. OK, so let's say we harvest them wet and we're paying commercial shrink, uh, moisture shrink at an elevator, and we're also paying drying charges. What happens to our income? Well, at 15 and 16% moisture, you are actually more profitable. Even if you're taking them to the elevator, you're more profitable at taking them in at 15 to 16% than you are taking them in at 11%. So just keep that in mind. And the drying charges, I couldn't really predict those. So I put some really high ones in. I I increased last year's drying charges by 30%, which I think is probably excessive. But I I did that just to make sure the analysis was was fair. So again, this is worst case scenario, taking them directly into the elevator. If you can dry on the farm, uh, there's more motivation for you to start earlier. Ground speed. So equipment adjustment. Ground speed is probably your number one uh, thing that you can control easily. And starting around three miles per hour makes makes a lot of sense. It's pretty general for a lot of conditions, pretty forgiving ground speed. Um, If you are in lodged beans or really brittle beans, uh, you may have to go even slower than that. And also depends on the size of your table in comparison to the size of your, your threshing capacity as well. So there's a lot of factors that go into that decision. Um, But uh, one thing that will help you allow higher ground speeds is if you use a draper head, as I mentioned earlier, or if you go to these narrow uh, knife sections, uh, inch and a half knife sections that come standard on a John Deere header. Um, So uh, air assist reels will also help with that. One way you can tell if you're going too fast in the field is you look at the stubble and if you see pods stripped from the pot, from the stalks laying on the ground, or you see very uneven uh, height in your cut, then you know that you're going too fast. Where we saw this, we actually tested this at one of our field days. We had a grower go from three miles an hour up to five miles an hour, and it did increase his losses. Anecdotally, we didn't do a bunch of replications, but uh, in the measurements we took, it increased his harvest losses by a bushel per acre. So ground speed can be a real issue. As a matter of fact, it is something we're looking at for on-farm trials this fall. We have a ground speed uh, uh, trial where we are going to be comparing three miles an hour versus five miles an hour. So if there's someone that's interested in doing that with us, uh, please, please see me. Um, Ground speed is the reason producers want to go fast. So, what I've got on this table is it kind of shows the ground speed effects on soybean harvest capacity and uh, per hour. And if so, we start at three miles an hour, four miles an hour, five miles an hour are my columns. And uh, I've got the different common header widths here. I would say we're seeing a lot more 40-foot heads than than what we used to see. So, I'll kind of look at that. So, if we've got a 40-foot header and we're traveling at three miles an hour, we can harvest basically 11 acres per hour. That's assuming 75% efficiency, about 11 acres an hour. Well, if we increase that up to four miles an hour, we're jumping that up to almost 15 um, acres an hour. we jump that up to five miles per hour. We're jumping that all the way up to 18 acres an hour. So that's the motivation. That's why people want to drive fast. If you can, you get the job done uh, sooner. Just be aware and check your losses. There are conditions where you can drive faster. There's conditions where you should not. So I would really encourage you to uh, check for losses uh, before you go any further. Real speed has been commonly cited as the most common uh, error that we make, real speed and real position. So, in good conditions, you want to run at 10 to 25% faster than the ground speed. In lodge conditions, because you got to pick those plants up, you might want to run it faster than the ground, than that, maybe up to 50% faster. What's really cool is most combines have automatic real. Control and uh, that'll keep your real speed and your ground speed in a constant ratio. I would encourage using that once you found your sweet spot. I would encourage using that. Um, I'm going to skip over threshing and cleaning losses because most of our losses occur at the header, and uh, and I'd say even as high as ninety percent occur at the header. Um, so equipment adjustment. I also want to talk about uh, real um, so. Did I talk about reel position? I don't think I did. Reel speed. Well, somehow I lost that. But reel position is really important, too. Under most conditions, you want to apply the axis uh, um, of the reel to be about six to nine inches in front of the cutter bar. And you want to um, have the height of it adjusted just so you're contacting the top one-third of the plants if you can. So... That's that. Uh, We want to measure our harvest losses. And I'm going to focus on gathering losses. So this is just a schematic that shows where the gathering losses can be measured. You've got pre-harvest losses here in the front that have where the combine has not entered. Then you've got our gathering losses where we drove in and we backed up about 15 feet. We measure those. And our total losses, of course, can be measured out the back. But again, we want to focus here because 90% of them occur here. So this is a field day, soybean harvest field day that we had. And this shows us out measuring our losses with these one foot squares. You don't wanna measure right up in here because when you raise up the header, you're gonna drop some plant parts here. You don't wanna measure here because now you're measuring your total losses. You wanna kind of measure the sweet spot in between those two areas. So when you measure, so as I mentioned, you kind of drive into the field, get a representative area, back it up about 20 feet. Um, You want to uh, estimate the number of beans and loose pods on the ground in the uncut area. Usually that's going to be minimal. You won't find much in there. Um, And then count the number of loose beans, beans and pods uh, per square foot on the ground and uncut uh, plants also um, on the ground. Then what you do is you just do some simple math. We took four samples. I would represent, I would really like to see at least 10 across the width of the header. But in our harvested area, this is what we found on the ground. The pre-sample we, where we didn't harvest yet, we had about two beans. So we subtract those from what we found, add those all together, and then divide by four to get the average. So we lost about 12 beans per square foot on the ground. You divide that by that rule of thumb of four beans per square foot equals a bushel, and we lost three bushels per acre in this scenario. This is a picture of one of our soybean harvest field days. This was actually last year up in Breckenridge. And uh, if you want to participate, we are doing this year year over in Hopkins. And uh, if you want to call that number at the top of the screen there, uh, we will get you registered for this field day. It's going to be on the 15th uh, next week, uh, Thursday. And uh, there's some debate whether the beans will be ripe or not, but I think they're going to make it. And we are. We may be desiccating the beans today, so it's kind of going to be a good visual representation on how uh, desiccating the vines will work in soybeans. So call that number if you're interested. For more information um, on on harvesting losses, um, you can go to my website here, and it's very easy to get to. If you don't have time to write that down, the simplest thing to do is just Google Mike Staten, uh, MSUE. You Google that, you'll come right to this page. And once you get to the page, you go to related, um, What is? It? I think it's related work. And you'll see every article I've ever written. And uh, if you go to the kind of the fall section, you'll see the Harvest Lawson. And this is true for every extension educator. Phil Cates has got one of these pages. Uh, Paul Gross, Eric, every one of us has one of these pages. So if you want to find out everything that we've written, you just sort of just Google the person's name, uh, dot, uh, and then just say MSUE, it'll take you right there. That's all I've got. I don't know if there's any questions now, or I'll take them later. Yeah, great,
0: thanks, Mike. Appreciate all those insights. Uh, we're going to go ahead and move right on to Jeff, and then we'll take questions at the end. But everyone, please go ahead and feel free to put your questions into the chat now, and we'll circle back around after we take care of the REP credits. So, Jeff, welcome, and Give us some good news.
3: Well, thanks, uh, Eric and and Mike. Thanks for some great information here, and 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 really want to talk a lot of follow up on on some of these issues with harvest now. Harvest beginning for many crops uh, across the state, and we'll talk about weather and where we're headed here. And there's, as usual, there's some good positive news, uh, especially in the short term, and and some not as positive news for the. Uh, the end of the weekend and next week, but we'll we'll get to that here in just a second. It's a uh, gorgeous morning in most of the state here uh, this morning with high pressure over the area and, and actually a little taste of early fall. Some some forties up in the northern part of the state and where uh, we still have some low level moisture. We've got some ground fog as well, but that should be burning off fairly quickly and set the stage for uh, another. Sp- really spectacular day here today and same tomorrow. And and, and for many places, even on Saturday, we'll get a three for one bonus uh, for, for more uh, weather here. Well, I'm going to start here looking at the last week and for most all of the state except for the far North, it was a warmer than normal week on the left-hand side here. You can see our mean temperatures generally two to three uh, degrees Fahrenheit above normal. And for precipitation, it, it really depended on where you were. But much of the state, and, and we, we talked about this last week, we were expecting a fairly dry week. And for most of the state, that was that was definitely the case. A couple of exceptions here, an area through uh, from west central up through the Saginaw Valley uh, area that picked up some rainfall over the weekend. And similarly, up in the far northern lower, we also had some uh, more widespread thunderstorm activity up there again uh, over last weekend. You can see those spots picked up half to three quarters in some cases even more than that but uh, many spots especially we'll look at the thumb southeastern lower basically little or no precipitation for the whole week so depending on what you have going on it was a, it was certainly in those areas a great week for uh, forage harvest it's also the type of weather that really speeds things up here uh, phenologically you've got some early dry down uh, above normal dry down rate and so uh, things moved ahead in in many parts of the state our degree day totals uh really the the spatial pattern here this is through the 6th but uh and these these are seasonal totals beginning may 1 so we're, we're really focusing on spring planted crops here uh, for corn and that the pattern that we've had all growing season and that is surpluses across southern areas of the state uh, and some deficits across the far north we've we've been there all year, and we almost it's it's almost not a guarantee never is in this this uh, line of work, but very 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 high probability that's how we will end the growing season as well uh the surpluses in the south in some cases as much as two hundred units base fifty, so we've got maybe an extra week that is now showing up uh, as we look at the crop phenology data uh, and crop development data from nas here uh, in uh, in michigan and we're we're seeing that uh, most of those crops are ahead of of normal both in terms of well degree days, but also in terms of developmental stages, I noticed on the uh, NAS was calling in Michigan now eight uh, percent of the corn crop has reached maturity. That was up from four the previous week, so things are are moving quickly, and they're they're a- ahead of the longer term normal as well. Uh, again, at, at least in the southern part of the state, and likely will continue. Well, on the weather map here this morning. Uh, you can see a lot of blue H's, lots of high pressure here. There is a, a warm frontal boundary up uh, moving northward up through northern parts of the state. There's almost it, on the satellite, you can see there's not even clouds associated with that. That's something we don't see too often. But high pressure is dominating our weather today. And it will for the next 48 to even maybe 60 hours or so. Uh Closest weather disturbance here. The next one way off to our north and west over southern Canada and into the northern Great Plains. Uh, if, you, you know, if you're interested in, in weather and climate, there also is a hurricane down here off uh, Baja California. That's Hurricane K, and it's in an area that's not—it's not uncommon, but the path of this, which is going to be parallel to the Baja Peninsula up north, is actually going to get close to California. That is very, very. Unusual. There are a number of reasons for that to happen, but uh, looking at the projections here, parts of Southern California actually, which have been, of course, experiencing uh, record-breaking drought uh, and and problems with fires, all sorts of, of issues associated with the drought, probably will see some rainfall uh, and and actually some elevated winds with this. I looked the last time that a hurricane in that part of the world affected or impacted. Southern California was 1997, so it's, again, it doesn't happen, uh, or not something that happens every every year, but that's that's expected here over the next couple of days, so maybe, um, may, and it's also maybe a break in the extreme heat that has been experienced in that part of the country as well as, as that storm gets closer, but there'll be hopefully some rainfall for some places with that. Any rate, for back to the Midwest and back to the Great Lakes region here, where we headed, I, I mentioned a very, very favorable forecast here for maturation and early dry down of crops. Here's tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, high pressure still here. We're gonna be looking at temperatures a couple degrees warmer than they have been over the last few days. So most areas 80 to 83 or 84 at tops, that'll be today. And tomorrow for daytime temperatures, and then at night we'll be dropping fairly uh, back into the 50s once again, a little bit warmer than it was uh, here this morning and and uh, yesterday morning. But the next weather system off to our north and west, you can see here with the green uh, showers moving into at least western portions of Upper Michigan. That's where it's going to start. And I think the thing to note about this weather system is it's it's moving very slowly. It's parallel to some of the upper air flow here, and it's it's just not getting anywhere fast. So we'll begin. With a chance for the next chance for rain beginning in western upper Michigan during the day on Friday and then slowly spreading south and eastward to uh, the lower peninsula by late Saturday. But right now it's looking as I move here to Saturday, the best chances for rain in the northern part of the state will be overnight Friday and into early Saturday. But for the southern part of the state, especially central and southern lower Michigan, I think the best chances are actually going to be Sunday and Monday. And right now, Uh, The forecast guidance has become wetter. There's more water vapor available for the system than we saw in earlier projections here, the the earlier guidance. So the trend has been towards more precipitation with the system as it comes through. And right now, I'll show you another weather map here we, we don't look at very often, but I'm showing you some extended guidance for Monday morning. And the reason I bring this up is because, well, it's, it's Mike's topic, the, the harvest season. We need to, we, well, we want to try to identify potential uh, problems or challenges here. And on the left-hand side here, these, this is the upper air pattern forecast here for Monday morning. And this feature, this uh, circular shape here, it's something called a a cutoff low. And uh, you you may have heard me talk about these before or other meteorologists because they're really tough to forecast. And sometimes the model guidance doesn't do a great job or doesn't do as well with these features as, as many other types of weather disturbances. But the key here is that if you're underneath that circulation, underneath that system, those systems can persist in certain areas for a long time and they lead to unsettled weather, clouds, Cooler temperatures and a basically continuing chance for showers, possibly thunder showers. with that. You can see on the right-hand side here, this is a surface map. There is precipitation indicated with the system. And uh, I mentioned this for the, the weather system here with the leading edge of this here coming uh, over the weekend being a little bit wetter with time. The same thing's happening here, but a caveat needs to go with this because depending on where the center of the circulation you see here sets up, Will go a long way in determining how long or how many days of look, we'll call it less than optimal conditions that we have. And again, we're looking at uh, cloudy, relatively cool conditions, high temperatures from maybe the upper 60s north to low 70s south, uh, and then a, a continuing chance, at least 50 50 odds of showers. It's not what you want, of course, during uh, harvest season, uh, if possible. That's something we're gonna have to watch really closely. But right now, The early part of next week looks like this is when we're going to be stuck with this or this might be an uh, influence, especially for southern parts of the state. And so that's something to keep an eye on. It does, though, look like in terms of precipitation and the uh, forecast here of precip potential for the next week, much of this is what falls on Sunday and Monday that you're seeing here. You can see fairly widespread half to three-quarter of an inch totals are forecast. That's, again, that's more than what we saw over the last couple of days for the same time frame. because, again, the system looks a little bit better developed uh, and more organized with more moisture than it did before. So right now it looks like most areas will be picking up Uh, Some precipitation or significant precipitation here late in the weekend, and then the continuing threat, depending on where that cutoff feature goes or what happens to it. The model guidance, by the way, I'll move back to that. The model guidance does suggest that it does move off to the east by the middle of next week, but we've seen that in the past. Uh, and many times it makes the liar out of the, the meteorologist or the person who talks about it. Uh, it's just something that, that we do need to watch carefully because they're hard to, uh, to forecast. Sometimes they persist in certain areas for a long time. So keep an eye on that one. Uh, and then again, best chances for precipitation, best totals, likely shifting down into the central and southern parts of the state here uh, next week. Uh, The potential of apple transpiration rates in terms of drying, you can see totals here from generally from eight to nine tenths of an inch. They're a little bit less than normal and they reflect some of that unsettled weather that we're we're expecting here late in the weekend and into early next week. So the water demand will be lower than it typically or it can be at this time of the year. Moving into the medium range here quickly, uh, where are we headed? Well, there have been some changes and they reflect that cutoff low feature. That you just saw, because again, uh, many times the models don't do a nice or do a very good job. Excuse me here. Let me move back here. Uh, But what they do suggest here for the medium range is uh, this, this area here of near to below normal mean temperatures. That's what's associated with that upper air feature that we just looked at and the expectation that it'll hang around for at least part of next week. You can see here though, Michigan officially uh, for the six to 10 day timeframe is, is forecast to be warmer than normal. That's also the case for the eight to 14 day timeframe. Precipitation though is different. Much of the, much of the guidance we've seen over the last actually at least two weeks has been in the warmer and drier than normal direction and, and much of it still is, but for, The weeks two, uh, two and three of the month of September here, what's what's coming or the next week and then the week following it right after the middle of the month, they have trended to be uh, maybe more in terms of precipitation than what we saw earlier. The eight to 14 day outlook, it's also warmer than normal for Michigan, but it suggests maybe even some above normal precip uh, in western parts of the state. That's, again, something we'll we'll keep an eye on given the time of the year. And I wanted to show this. Uh, th- this is an updated version of the September outlook on the top here for mean temperatures and precipitation. This was uh, issued at the end of the month. There's always an update at the end of the calendar month for the the following month, and it is like as we talked like before, talked in earlier uh, briefings. It is warmer and drier. The outlook than. Uh, what we had seen in the the original issuance came out the third week of, of August, but you can see for Michigan, for much of this, it's all warmer than normal for the upper Midwest and for Michigan, but most of the state is also in this brown, drier than normal. So it did increase the odds of that. Now that's for the whole month of September. So uh, again, if you look at this collectively, maybe we have uh, a little bit more precipitation and you're coming up at the middle of September or the third week, but generally it's still expected to be drier than normal. And that's again, for an outlook for a long lead and for where we are in the calendar and the crop cycle, I think this is, a for most folks, this is a pretty favorable outlook, although we may even need a little bit of uh, moisture here for those planting cover crops or planting fall crops here coming up with wheat, and et cetera. Uh, th- there will be a need for at least a little bit of moisture to get things going at the top, but but right now, warm and dry is still the the general direction of most of the guides. So, wrapping up here, beautiful day today and tomorrow, and even in the southern parts of the state, even on Saturday, uh, almost optimal conditions for this time of the year for the late season. Uh, we'll see then that chance for rainfall, showers and thunderstorms spread slowly from northwest to southeast beginning on Friday in the far north. And then for most of the rest of the state overnight, Saturday into uh, Sunday and Monday, possibly, especially southern parts of the state, we might see some lingering showers into the middle of next week. And I, that would be my personal guess right now. Temperature wise, uh, above normal. For the next couple of days, cooling back down to below normal values here, or cooler than normal by the end of the weekend and into early next week. And and once again, the medium range though does suggest that we will go back up to at least to warmer than normal weather by late next week and beyond that uh, for some time. And, and depending on the time frame, uh, probably to drier than normal conditions as well. So I'll wrap that up and jump to introduce next week's virtual breakfast speaker, and that's Dr. Aaron Hill and she's going to be with us to talk about herbicide resistance and the time of the year. Timing is everything. Uh, So that is uh, next week, next Thursday, the 15th. And with that, I'll wrap up and um, hand it back over here to Mike and or Phil. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Phil. So uh, we've got a few questions in the chat. Uh, I'll encourage everyone to go ahead and type your questions in. Um, I just want to make a note, though, as we were talking beforehand this morning, um, Jeff has uh, a really busy schedule coming up uh, later this month, and so he may not be able to join us live for our last two sessions. So if anyone here on the call has any questions um, heading into maybe a longer lead forecast uh, further into the fall, uh, feel free to put those into the chat today and he can address those otherwise. If you have some questions that come up uh, over the next couple of weeks, feel free to send those questions in to anyone on our field crop team and uh, probably do that by, oh say noon or so on Wednesday. And then we'll forward those on to Jeff and he is um, perhaps going to be able to do a recording for us uh, maybe the day ahead of time. And so he may be able to address some of those. So just a heads up about that. Uh, so Mike, the first question coming in is for you and conditions where the soybean don't get to 15 to 16% moisture. What moisture levels would you recommend producers start harvesting at?
2: Wow. That is a good question. And, uh, it sort of depends on really what your what your your handling and drying capacity is. I think is part of them, and your your skill in in setting the combine when you're harvesting. What's going to happen is you're going to be difficult, more difficult to thresh out of the pods at higher moisture contents, and you're going to have more pumpkins. So you don't want to be smashing beans, those big ones, uh, you know, with your rotor or your cylinder. So you have to pay attention to clearance. Um, but I would say you know technically you can start at twenty percent or below but that's not uh, optimum really 18 i think is really realistic 18 or below is more realistic but at 18 percent, you are going to have some pumpkins you're going to have some uh, soft beans and um, so you do have to be careful with uh, uh, the clearance on on the threshing cylinder or rotor the other thing you want to be careful of is check with your if you're delivering directly you might want to make sure that uh, you're not going to get uh, rejected. Um, I think 18% is kind of a level where you might get rejected in, in certain circumstances. So just check with your buyer ahead of time. Check with your drying and handling capacities on your farm. and uh, But yeah, you should certainly be able to start at 18% uh, and and below. Thanks, Mike. So you had mentioned uh, a few
0: different considerations or scenarios where um, harvest might be challenging. Uh, Do you have anything specific, any recommendations or tips for SDS fields?
2: SDS fields. Okay. SDS would have just uh, matured. Basically, I think they'd be prone to shattering would be my guess, Eric. I don't have a lot of experience, so I'd be prone. I would say they're going to be those areas that are severely affected are going to be more prone to shattering because they would have maybe dried down a little bit prematurely. So be checking the moisture in there, making sure you're in there on time, and uh, just uh, maybe drive a little bit slower run your real speed, uh, be, pay, pay attention to real speed. I don't know, um, I've been in some combines where the beans will hit the windshield, and uh, I've been in some fields where I thought they might crack the windshield. Um, so you don't want that scenario that's a shattering situation. That's what I think happened last year in, in 2021, where we had all those volunteer soybeans. So I really think shatter losses are probably the most likely thing to occur in SDS. So real speed and ground speed are probably your two biggest things to pay attention to. Okay. Okay.
0: So the next question that came in was for Jeff and uh, Jeff typed something in, but uh, we'll have him answer it live here too. How much rain can we expect with this cutoff low that you were mentioning?
3: Right. It, it's a, it's a good, good question. And usually I, I guess the on, the, on the positive side, usually it, we don't see heavy rain. It's not, it, it is possible you can, but it's just, it's just not that common. It's, it's typically more the the frequency and, just the, the threat of rain over a, a longer period it's, it's poor timing and so many times with these kind of events the showers will be relatively light a quarter and a half an inch or less typically less than a quarter of an inch but it sometimes again you do wish the timing were, were different and and as I mentioned the the really ch- big challenges it sometimes is over an extended period so sometimes they can because they sit in the same place for a long time it can be over a few days and you just have a repeated, uh, threat of, of rainfall and of course this time of the year that's not what uh, what we're looking for.
1: Uh,
0: Clay says rain forecast for the thumb wheat planting dates 915.
3: Um, so a week uh, a week out and uh, I guess it depends on how much rain we get here over the weekend. Uh, with, with the, that most of the moisture we see in the next week will be on for most areas will be on Sunday and Monday. And, and it could be, we could see three quarters of an inch, maybe even a little bit better than that. So some of the, the question about planting will, will depend on that. But right now it does look like we will be moving into a little bit drier weather by late next week. Um, so whether it's the grounds had enough to 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 drain and be be ready to go again uh, will depend on how much falls but I, but right now I think the the outlook is for seasonable to maybe above normal warmer than normal with with uh, with fair conditions by late in the week.
0: So Jeff, with the, the rains that came oh maybe a week or so ago, um, some areas we had, you know, inch and a half or so. Right, um, right. With with beans being a you know kind of late full pod, corn being somewhere between beginning and, and uh, mid dent. Um, do you suspect that we're we're covered? We're good to go for the rest of the season. I I, I think that's uh, that's
3: my interpretation, especially West Central, uh, Southwest. There's some portions of the state that really had significant precipitation here during August. Now there are other areas and and I think Mike's point about green stem is also really really valid because we did have lack of water earlier in the year so that's going to be something to watch uh and I I know my own instant or my own experience here uh in Hazlitt with the dryness I I've never seen so much tip back uh with (laughs) sweet corn I'm on a really coarse textured soil but there was definitely stress there in, in certain areas where again the soils could keep up with demand earlier in the season. But I but I think Mike's point is a really, really valid one for soy here. Uh with uh maybe with with especially where these areas that have picked up the rainfall. Southeastern section of the state, in contrast, have been significantly drier than than that. So we've got a, a range of of conditions. But those areas that picked up the two, some cases, three, four inches of rain during August. Yeah. I don't think there's any question they're They're, they're covered for the rest of the season in terms of water needs and and really want now to to speed things along and get things dried out and so forth. So, uh, they should be in good shape.
0: Okay. So I think, uh, Lyndon Kelly may be on uh, the phone. It's kind of hard to tell from the name, uh, Lyndon, if you're on, uh, do you have anything to add to that as far as, uh, uh, water needs, especially on our lighter textured soils for the rest of the season. Does not look like he is unmuting, so uh, he may not be able to join. So anyone else on our field crop team have any any insights or things that you're seeing you want us to know about uh, any other specialists on the
1: call this morning? Just a question maybe for Mike, uh,
3: is Marty still wanting some um, SDS samples?
2: I think he would take them, for uh, Paul, yes. I think he would take And all he needs is just the roots. Okay. Yep, no
0: absolutely. That'd be great. Um, yeah, any
2: SDS symptomatic plants, um, if you can just pull those and just let them dry out in a paper bag, then we can isolate from the roots and check for a fungicide um, resistance of that SDS pathogen. That'd be awesome. Boy, am I glad you said to let them dry because I've got some in my trunk for about two weeks now. <laughs> so. and, we'll, and just by the way, too, we'll also take um, frog leaf spot samples, too. <laughs> so if you happen to see any of that, just grab a, a couple, you know, a few leaves and let them dry as well. Um, and yeah, we can culture the fungus back out once those samples are dry. That'd be very, very helpful for fungicide resistance monitoring.
0: And so I'm assuming that's true for, for anyone on the call here. So if you do have uh, either of those diseases in your field, uh, you can either uh, contact Marty directly or reach out to your, your local uh, field crop agent. And we can either come out and collect them or we can get you the information as to where to send those samples in. All right. Any, anyone else on the field crop team, uh, educators, specialists, anything else you want to add?
1: Eric, I just uh, I I'm just
2: going to add something that's uh, on probably a lot of growers' minds because of Phil Cates. Uh, Phil has made it possible for the listeners today and throughout the summer to accumulate an excess number of credits, more credits than what they're actually going to need for their pesticide certification. So I think most growers are probably thinking, if there's, is there any way that they can profit from those extra credits? And I don't think there's any way that we can do that, but uh, at least we provide the opportunity to make sure and get plenty. And that's all falls on Phil and the rest of the team to make that happen. But I'm sure many of you that are really grateful for having as many credits as you have. And as far as I know, there is no way to, uh, to uh, profit from those extra credits, unfortunately.
0: Yep, uh, they do not carry over. So w- once you've accumulated your 16 uh, for private or for commercial, you know however many categories you have, um, once you've hit that number for the current cycle, then yeah, you can't carry those over into your your next certification cycle. Um, I do have one. I think it's a question, um, and Anthony, feel free to either unmute and clarify or type something else into the chat. But uh, Mike, I think it's for you. It just says, when enough moisture suffice for soy. Mm. So again, Anthony, feel free to to unmute and and add to that or or type something else into the chat.
2: I'm gonna start answering with what I think Anthony means is maybe when is it too dry to harvest, you know, um, so let's take it from that standpoint. And we've seen some conditions where beans have gotten down to actually 9% or even 8% a couple years ago when we had that heat spell. Um, And it's it's a fine line. And with our unpredictable weather, to me, the only time I would not keep harvesting those 8 or 9% beans because I, I'm risk adverse, I don't want the weather to turn against me and have those beans get overly ripe and, or, you know, be shattering and have huge losses into November. So I would take them. Even if they're that dry and I've got good harvest conditions, I want my combine to roll. Um, the scenario where I would not do that is if they were seed beans, so if they're seed beans or if your grain buyer is expressing concern, then I would not do it. But if you can avoid uh, excessive uh, splits or uh, shatter um, shatter losses, if you can avoid, you know, you're not getting severe shatter losses, I would keep the combine running even though you're losing money at 9%, at, uh, 10% uh, beans. I, I would still go after those. We got into some trouble in, in Illinois, I think it was last year, where they got overly dry. And the growers did try to do a wait uh, game uh, where they would pull the combines out of the field and wait, and it caused some problems. I think we saw that in Michigan as well that year that it happened. So it's not a good situation, but I think the only time I would not harvest beans uh, run the combine is if my shatter losses are are exceedingly high, or if uh, they're seed beans, or if the elevator has some restrictions. If that's not what you were looking for, Anthony, please uh, uh, please let me know.
0: All right, thanks, Mike. I'm not seeing anything else in the chat and uh, we didn't get anything else from other specialists. So I um, wanna thank everyone again for joining this morning. Thanks again for uh, good presentations
1: from Mike and Jeff. And with that, I think we'll close things out. Uh, have a good week, everyone.